when a miner named Michael Wanzi was murdered in June of 1905, it was evident that something wasn't quite right in the tiny village of Natalie. Although the scenic mountain village in Northumberland County had a population of less than 200, the slaying of Michael Wanzi was the fourth murder committed in the village in less than a decade. And shockingly, it would be far from the last. By 1924, the population of Natalie had nearly doubled, thanks to a building boom that saw the construction of 40 new homes during the preceding year by builders employed by the Colonial Colliery's Company, owners of the Natalie Colliery. Twenty of these homes, many of which still stand today, were built by the Everett Construction Company of Coltmont. In 1923, there were 56 homes in the village, housing 375 residents. By April of 1924, that number would swell to just under 400 residents and 93 homes. Although the building boom lent some respectability to the village, Natalie was still imbued with a notorious reputation as being one of the most lawless places in Northumberland County, thanks to the numerous brutal, unsolved murders that took place there. The first recorded murder that took place in Natalie was that of Pat Ford in March of 1893. Ford's badly mangled body was discovered in the snow about 500 yards from the Patterson Colliery. According to neighbors, Ford had gotten drunk the previous night in the Hungarian boarding house in the village. One witness who lived next door to the boarding house said that she saw a man violently thrown out of the establishment around 11 o'clock the previous evening. When the woman's husband returned from the mines shortly after midnight, he was informed of the incident and went outside to investigate, finding a trail of blood in the snow that led to Ford's body. No arrests were ever made in the case, and Ford's killer was never brought to justice. Just two years later, in the fall of 1895, Henry Yargo would become the village's second murder victim. Yargo, an immigrant miner, disappeared without a trace in late October. On November 6, 1895, one of his fellow boarders at the Hungarian boarding house confessed to knowing about Yargo's disappearance and declared that he had been the victim of foul play. On the day he was last seen, Yargo left the boarding house with several friends and went to Mount Carmel, where he was seen flashing a large wad of cash. Returning home that evening, one of the men in the group knocked Yargo down between Green Ridge and Natalie before the rest of his so-called friends beat him to death. The attackers made off with about $80. Yargo's body was then carried into the woods and buried in a shallow grave near Hickory Ridge. His killer was never caught. The following year, another tragedy would strike the tiny village, this time taking the form of a natural disaster. A powerful hurricane ransacked the coal region on September 29, 1896. Although no lives were lost during the storm, dozens of buildings were reduced to rubble and many sustained life-threatening injuries. The damages in Mount Carmel alone 
amounted to over $20,000, or more than half a million dollars in modern currency. The village of Natalie was practically destroyed. At the notorious Hungarian boarding house, eight of the eleven boarders suffered serious injuries. But the hurricane of 1896 didn't do much to ease tensions among Natalie residents. On Christmas Eve of that year, a riot broke out in the village's general store, where several miners had gone to procure their month's wages. It all began when John Logan shoved John Harish against a hot stove. Harish fought back, but was soundly thrashed by the bigger Logan. John Polska then attacked Logan, who pulled a knife and slashed Polska in the face. Polska, as he tried to protect himself, nearly had one of his fingers cut off, and things sort of went downhill from there. The December 26, 1896 edition of the Mount Carmel Daily News reported that knives were drawn and there was a general slashing among the infuriated men. When it was all over, more than a dozen miners were hospitalized from stab wounds. Patrick Johnson was stabbed in the side of the head. Israel Jones was stabbed in the shoulder. John McNellis was stabbed in the back. Andrew Miskinen was stabbed in the neck. John Smith of Bear Gap was stabbed in the shoulder, back, and neck. Miraculously, all would recover. In 1899, the bloodied body of an unidentified miner believed to be that of a Polish immigrant, was found alongside the road, not far from the site of the Argo murder. And then there is the infamous 1904 case of the Mystery Head. Although the head of this unknown murder victim was found between the Hickory Ridge Colliery and Shemokin, his torso was discovered not far from Natalie. For over a century, the identity of the victim has puzzled local historians, and the identity of the killer even more so. But the banner year for this murderer's paradise was 1905. On January 21st, the body of an Italian miner named Michael Rossi was found along the road to Natalie. His head had been crushed in by his killer or killers, or so it was initially reported. The coroner, however, ruled that Rossi had died from heart failure, and it was later reported that the victim's alleged facial injuries were the result of facial neuralgia. At any rate, murder was eventually ruled out, though more than a few newspaper reporters had their doubts. But let's go back to the Wanzi murder. The murder of Michael Wanzi occurred on June 20th, 1905, and resulted in tremendous outrage. Unlike many of Natalie's other murder victims, Wanzi was a popular and influential citizen. The 45-year-old Polish immigrant was employed as a boss machinist at the number 2 slope, about a half mile away from his home. He walked home for dinner and then headed back to the colliery at approximately 12.30 and was never seen alive again. At around 1.30 that afternoon, Larry Burns was walking along the road leading to the number 2 slope 
when he encountered splatters of blood on the ground. Because of the village's seedy reputation, he immediately suspected foul play and followed the bloody trail. He found Wanzi's body about a hundred yards away in the brush. Miraculously, Wanzi was still breathing, though it was evident that he would never recover. His head bore numerous ghastly gaping wounds. Life would be extinct before Burns made it back to the village to call for help. Coroner Dreher and Dr. W.T. Williams transported the body back to Wanzi's home. The post-mortem examination revealed 43 balls of lead lodged in Wanzi's body, three in his brain and the rest in his back. The bullets, it was reported, were homemade, roughly cut and slightly larger than buckshot. The bullets appeared to have been fired from a double-barreled shotgun. The coroner theorized that Wanzi had attempted to run toward the colliery pump house after he had been shot, thereby causing his assailant to shoot him in the back. Yet no one had heard the shots being fired, though it was possible that the sound of steam escaping from the pump house had masked the noise. Wanzi was known to have his fair share of enemies. His devotion to his job and strong work ethic endeared him to his supervisors but it also made him the target of jealousy. Several months earlier, an unknown attacker hiding in the woods had fired shots at him, but Wanzi managed to escape the ambush unharmed. Wanzi's murder angered a large portion of the Northumberland County population. He was the 107th murder victim in county history, and yet only one killer had ever been caught, tried, and convicted. In other words, if you murdered somebody in Northumberland County, there was a 99.06% chance that you would get away with the crime. This unenviable record inspired a reporter from the Mount Carmel item to write, The murderer is unknown. If the search for him is prosecuted with the same vigor that characterized previous endeavors upon the part of the authorities, he is likely to remain unknown. Much to everyone's great surprise, an arrest was made about a week later. The suspect was identified as a village resident by the name of Frank Ryko, who was known to have harbored a grudge against Wanzi. It was also known that Ryko owned a double-barreled shotgun. Ryko had been employed at the number three boiler house, and, by all accounts, was not a particularly hard worker, nor was he particularly easy to get along with. Ryko had constantly complained about a leak in the boiler house roof, and threatened to quit unless it was repaired. The day after he quit, the roof was repaired. Ryko was so incensed when he learned about this, he returned to the colliery to get his job back. But he was informed by his boss, who happened to be Michael Wanzi, that he had already been replaced. Ryko, now unemployed and with a wife and seven children to look after, soon fell behind on his rent and was threatened with eviction. Making matters worse, his marriage was falling apart, and one of his closest friends had recently been killed. Ryko was arrested near Coltmont en route to his friend's funeral. Bullet-making supplies were found inside his home. I remember one time 
At the trial, a witness named John Kula testified that he had seen Raiko near the scene of the crime, holding a shotgun on the day Wanzi was murdered. Eli Hine, a neighbor of Raiko, and John Simon, a former co-worker, both testified that the alleged killer bore a grudge against the victim. Killing to me is like taking out the garbage. Both men claimed to have heard Raiko say that he wanted Wanzi dead. I don't like doing it, but it's gotta be done. Nevertheless, Frank Raiko was acquitted of murder. Despite compelling evidence, there was still only one conviction springing from 107 Northumberland County murders, and Natalie's notorious slayers had evaded justice 100% of the time. On the evening of July 16, 1905, Andrew Harness narrowly avoided becoming the village's next murder victim. That night, he had gone to a festival in nearby Marion Heights and was returning home to Natalie late in the evening when he was ambushed and left to die on the roadside. A neighbor found his unconscious body. Dr. Kiefer was summoned to the scene and discovered that Andrew Harness had been beaten over the head with a large, blunt object. His scalp was cut in several places, but his skull was not fractured. Robbery was once again the motive. The $13 that Andrew Harness had carried with him was stolen. Perhaps the most gruesome murder to take place in Natalie occurred in 1918, and, for the first time in a village's bloody history, justice would ultimately prevail. And for a pretty good reason. Peter Smolik was the first person in the history of Northumberland County to actually confess to the crime of murder. It was around 8.30 on the morning of June 19, 1918, when Peter Smolik split open his wife's skull with an axe inside the kitchen of their home in Natalie, in front of three of their seven children. The newspaper report described the incident thusly. Approaching her, he struck her twice in the back of the head with the blunt end of a hatchet, splitting open the skull from ear to ear so that her brains oozed out onto her shoulders. Smolik was sentenced to death by electric chair at the Rockview Penitentiary on December 16, 1918. While awaiting his transfer to Rockview in June of the following year, he penned a statement from inside his cell at the county prison in Sunbury. In a statement, Smolik accused his wife Clara of having been on intimate terms with numerous men in this vicinity, and he declared that this was the reason behind his actions. Remarkably, for as gory as the crime was, it garnered very little local press, perhaps due to the possibility that Clara Smollick's lovers included some important people in Northumberland County social circles. The June 18, 1919 edition of the Mount Carmel Item devoted a total of four sentences to Smollick's jailhouse declaration, writing, in part, The statement in its original form is too strong for publication and is quite lengthy, giving dates and names of some well-known men. Even Smollick's execution warranted just a mere blurb in the local paper. The June 16, 1919 edition of the same newspaper merely reads, Peter Smollick, Natalie, Northumberland County, 
paid the death penalty this morning at Rockview Penitentiary when he was electrocuted for the murder of his wife. Smolik pleaded guilty, saying he was intoxicated, and was sentenced without the formality of a trial. He will be buried in a penitentiary cemetery, as the body was not claimed. If you enjoyed this podcast, look for my latest book, Pennsylvania Oddities, Volume 2, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Walmart.com, or through the Sunbury Press website at www.sunburypressstore.com. The Pennsylvania Oddities podcast is written, produced, and narrated by Marlon Bressy. Theme music composed by Marlon Bressy. Sound effects courtesy of freesound.org. Find the Pennsylvania Oddities podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you find your favorite programs. New episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month.